from the Outreach Department at the Texas School for the Blind and Visually Impaired in Austin, Texas. This is A Sense of Texas. Here is your host, Emily Coleman. Welcome to A Sense of Texas. I'm Emily Coleman. When developing an IEP or working together through the ARD process, it's critical to start with solid evaluations. As you can imagine, this can be tricky for our students when so few standard assessments and evaluations are really meant for them. Marnay Lofton wrote one of the few resources in our field titled Making Evaluations Meaningful and continues to provide training on this topic. Our conversation only scratches the surface. My name is Marnay Lofton, and as you can tell from the Texas twang, I'm I'm a native Texan, born and bred. Um, anytime I talk about myself, I really try to emphasize to people that at that point in time, children who had any type of special needs were not not guaranteed an education in public schools. You know, schools could come up with edicts like once they're toilet trained, they can be enrolled in school. Or once they are able to speak in three-word sentences, they could be enrolled in school. So there has been a, an incredible change in, in what what has happened in the field of special ed. And when I went to work at TSB, I really had that firsthand experience of seeing seeing how things change and how we as a, as a society have begun to integrate people with special needs into our population. Now, Marnie, what was your first uh, job at TSBVI? Was it in assessment? It was. Um, they, at the time, had one psychologist who was there, and they wanted to hire a second one. Uh, but it was what we called the counseling and assessment. And so my first job was working in the elementary department with those students primarily. Um, and, you know, not a lot of training that was available other than the hands-on things that happened. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I desperately tried to read things, and I asked each of the principals to recommend a book to me. But pretty much everything that I read seemed to say in one way or another that you couldn't evaluate children who were blind or visually impaired. Mm-hmm. You know, that they were some sort of foreign species, for mm-hmm. want of a better word, that nothing nothing was the same for them. You know, if you say that can't be done with a child, really you're depriving them of a pretty significant service. Mm. Um, I think sometimes psychologists uh, bring out fear in parents and in teachers. You know, they may have had one unpleasant encounter, but they see them as not not being useful in providing information. And I think in, in contrast, psychologists bring a new set of eyes to a situation. They have a whole different set of training. And so it's an advantage for those kids to be seen and to have some record of, of what's going on with them. So part of it was to give the training that I felt like I had missed And the other was to give kids the services that they need. You know, you mentioned that there was this sort of underlying uh, rule that that, that our students just couldn't be evaluated. Um, But what do you think are the greatest barriers to a really accurate assessment for students who are blind, visually impaired, or deafblind? 
one of the the primary barriers is the nature of the population themselves. Because probably the thing that I always start off a workshop with is talking about the diversity of the population. You know, you learn something about Mm -hmm. one student and then you have to learn something about the other. So it's hard if you can't categorize people into one clump and say, you know, this is what a child with VI is like. Mm -hmm. And I I think there's diversity in all populations, but my experience, and it's been been pretty broad, is that VI is probably the most diverse. Uh, You know, there are so many different variables. So I think that's one of it. I think the other thing that's a real barrier is that it's such a low incidence population, you know, that there's not a lot of interest in professional preparation programs. Mm. Uh, There's not a lot of interest by publishers in, in providing materials for that population. So there's just not much that you get. I think that's the professional prep, I think, is starting to change. Uh, there's there's several schools that are starting programs at their master's level, primarily in diagnosticians. You know, that's where it really seems to be, be pulling. Um, I was excited, though, to see one of the changes that's going on with psychologists. Um, anybody in the state of Texas that practices in the field of psychology or uses that term in their title has to be licensed by the state. And we have Mm -hmm. to do 40 hours of continuing ed each year. And for the first time, probably about three years ago, um, they added a category of, uh, I think it's called cultural competency, Hmm. where you have to have three hours in that particular area. And when they first added it a number of years ago, it was just simply um, kids that would come from minorities. You know, it was persons of color, children who are bilingual, et cetera. But they've now added sensory impairment to that. Oh. So I think that's opening a field for for psychologists to get additional training. Have you found, too, that a lot of the, um, you know, I always hear how the assessment materials used in in K-12 often aren't accessible for our population. Have you found that to be true as well? You know, sometimes. But it's interesting because I think those of us who are working in the field have spent a lot of time writing things and doing workshops on how do you make accommodations. Mm. I don't think that materials in general are as inaccessible as we think. Hmm. Um, And so one of the things, I don't know if you've had to take had a chance to take a look at it but the american printing house for the blind put out a position paper Mm -hmm. on intelligence testing Mm -hmm. and so a lot of that talks about you know there's there's some of the materials that you can't use and so rather than trying to make those accessible just leave them out you know use Mm -hmm. other things you know the kind of the buzzword in psychology now is cross-battered assessments where you're doing different items from different tests, you know, and putting it all together. So you're not literally putting all of your eggs in that single basket. Hmm. And I think that holds a lot of, 
of merit for kids who are visually impaired. Now, you know, because it is a low incidence disability, a lot of um, school psychs and diagnosticians haven't, of course, been trained in evaluating our students. So if they were going to evaluate a child with vision loss for the first time, is there training that you would recommend that's critical for them to dive into? One of the strange phenomena, because in about a 10-day period, there were three different webinars that different organizations put on about collaborative evaluations. And I think one of the very first things that they need to do is to talk to the TBI Mm -hmm. and get real specific information about that child, because the parameters that the TBI gives them are things that will help them choose the right instrument and then start their study on on what they need to do. What has often given psychologists a bad rep is that they sit in their office and they kind of get the referral and then they go and pick up the child and sit down there and test them and may or may not make good conclusions from that. So I think that initial time to collaborate with the TBI and start off the process is a great one. There's a whole list of webinars that that I can share. The book that I did, Making Evaluation Meaningful, is a real kind of hands-on, pragmatic thing about how do you test a child who's visually impaired? What are some of the barriers to evaluation? What are some of the ways you can go wrong with interpreting data? So it's kind of a hands-on book. Where I think we have fallen short in this whole area of getting evaluation started is I think we've not provided that same type of information to teachers. You know, how do you talk the same language? Mm-hmm. Um, most, most everything and most of the workshops that I've done have included teachers. There's always teachers that will come, but there's not any material specifically designed for them, you know, that talk about the tests and, you know, what are the changes you can make? What are the changes you cannot make? Mm. So I think there's, there's room for training in that area. We get questions all the time, as you know, at TSBVI. And um, I think it's something that uh, everybody struggles with because, you know, like we've said, there's just so few students that um, out in the districts like ours and in there, it's hard to know where to start with them sometimes. You know, I think that parents are often kind of looking for the perfect situation. You know, I get so many calls that a parent has gone through all of the the hoops to request an IEE because they're just not feeling comfortable with uh, what's going on. And there's really no resources. There are not people doing those anymore. Um, So I always try to steer a parent toward finding somebody interested in learning in the district and, you know, trying to work with them. Yeah. Um, But it's a problem. As a parent of a, of a blind child myself with multiple disabilities, I, I have been the, um, well, I should say he has been sort of the victim of a, of a cognitive evaluation that was done by someone who didn't have any training and didn't seek any support. Um, which made it very challenging. And so I can certainly appreciate parents looking for a resource because it's really scary to have an evaluation done by somebody that doesn't know anything about sensory loss and hasn't taken the time to do some research. The sad thing about psychological evals is you can guarantee those things will follow a child forever. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think that all of us who work in the field have that that extra responsibility to yeah. do the very, very best we can. One of the great ideas that I had, and I am putting great in quotes because <laughs> no one else thought it was a great idea, but I thought it would be really wonderful if there was a certain time reserved, maybe every six weeks or something, that folks at the Schools for the Blind could to be available for a day and just be there to answer questions from people that called, hmm. you know, and it would primarily be the questions that I always get kind of fall into what tests do I use for this child and how do I interpret these results? Mm-hmm. And, you know, that would be a chance. We wouldn't be out there doing the evaluations ourselves. So it wouldn't be that staff heavy. But it would be a chance for those really critical questions to get answered. Mm-hmm. Um, I did that for a while as a consultant, and and I it was kind of an overwhelming response. Mm-hmm. And I stopped doing it because I felt like what I really needed were boots on the ground, mm-hmm. you know, for outreach or someone to have seen the child. Um, and I think typically the ones that you get calls about are the complex kids that have been seen. Um, but I think there's a need for that kind of thing. I don't honestly think that there's a need for a specialist to evaluate every child. They just need someone to be a mentor mm-hmm. like I have. Mm-hmm. So. Do you think that that sort of support would be helpful to families, too? Or are there other ways that families can get more information regarding the evaluation process? I've gotten to be close to some folks at the California school uh-huh. who are just a dynamic source of assessment information. And I had actually contacted them because I think um, there's a lot of material out there about a quality program for um for VI, mm-hmm. but what they don't have is anything on a quality evaluation. Mm-hmm. So I think if parents, kind of like with teachers, if there was a resource book that they could read about and kind of understand, yeah, there are tests that are good, and here are some of them, and here are the kids that it's good with. I think if they had that information, it would be really helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that parents use the the different Facebook groups, tap me, you'll see a lot of questions about uh, teaching. There's not a lot of questions about behavior and a lot of questions about evaluation. So, you know, we have started, or the folks in California started a new group called BVI Professionals. It's a listserv. And they're up to almost 200 members on that already, you know, with people asking questions about evaluations, et cetera. Um, And I don't know if anybody from TSB is on it, but it's really an interesting, interesting group of people. And I was really encouraged that there's that many people that are interested in the field of evaluation. You know, it's like any of those groups. Sometimes you'll go for weeks and there won't be anything of any meaning and then they'll start talking about things it's also a good place to keep up on what are the resources you know what are the new things found you know as I shared this is a a pretty quick podcast it's just an overall summary um but I did want to ask you if you have any tips or tricks that you think everybody should remember um to ensure that our students are getting meaningful evaluations Hmm. That is such a hard thing. There are so many. And I think first and foremost is that it's a collaborative process. Yeah. So 
always being certain that you talk to the TBI. I think that you have to take the time to do your research before you get started. Yeah. Um, you know, most people who work in the field of evaluation are frantically running all the time trying to meet their quotas. Right. So to be certain that you've got the time to sit down and, and do the things um, that you need to do to get ready for it. I think the third thing that I always give as a tip is don't assume that the child who is blind will present the most challenges. I believe in my heart of hearts that children with low vision are the one that represent the biggest challenge in evaluation. And I think they're the people that the typical evaluator worries the least about. Mm. So being certain that you really, really understand the challenges of low vision. I shudder when I think back to the number of times that I made a child sit straight and put the materials right in front of them um, because I just didn't understand anything about eccentric viewing patterns. Mm-hmm. All of those things that will make a difference and, and give a truer picture The last tip that I always tell people is be very aware that you're only getting an estimate of the abilities. Mm. Kind of the the general feeling among evaluators is that what we get is probably an underestimate of abilities. So interpret very, very cautiously. You know, be sure that you're making notes that it's that it's um you believe it's a valid estimate, but that it may underestimate abilities. And I keep saying my last tip. And the other thing is to be sure that you're supplementing it with observations. Mm -hmm. What you get from a child in a one-to-one situation is never what you see in a classroom. But I think with kids with VI, it's even more different. So you've got to observe and and talk to people. One of the great joys in my life was was working with teenagers in my first couple of years and, you know, getting to hear their thoughts about the world. And, uh, of course, at that time, we were still coming off the kids with visual impairments couldn't go to public school. Mm. So there were a lot of real college-bound kids that were my first. And I think that they really gave me so much insight into what it's like to to try to hide a visual impairment and try to pass mm. as someone who's got normal vision. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, I still keep up with a lot of those people who are now pushing 50. And it, <laughs> That's great. It's really a funny thing. <laughs> funny how I remain ageless. Yes. <laughs> <He's> getting older. <laughs> Before we wrap up, is there anything else you'd like to add? Or do you want to share anything about um, your book that's being updated, perhaps? Well, I think that it's it's on its way to being ready, the book. I think um, Deborah told me that they were going to offer it in electronic copies as well as print copies. Great. That they felt as though electronic was the way of the world. Mm-hmm. I'm considering asking her if I can add another chapter. I think deaf blindness is something that we're really missing a lot of information. So we'll see. Maybe that can just be something on past literacy. Gotcha. But, yeah. Um, I appreciate all of the the things that people have done to help this whole process along. Do you know an infant or toddler in Texas who may have a vision problem? They may qualify for free services. Support from a teacher of students with visual impairment may increase a child's success in school and life. 
Call 817-740-7530 to find out more. That's 817-740-7530. As Marne shared, evaluating students who are blind, VI, or deafblind isn't impossible, but needs to be intentional with adaptations in mind. To dig into this topic deeper, which we should all do, check out the episode description for tons of resources. Marne is also in the process of revising her popular resource, Making Evaluations Meaningful. And when ready, the new edition can be found at TSBVI's website. I know there are hundreds of professionals who cannot wait to get their hands on it. From the TSBVI Outreach Department and A Sense of Texas, I'm Emily Coleman. See you next time. This has been a presentation of the Texas School for the Blind and Visually Impaired Outreach Department. If you have any questions or suggestions for topics to cover in future episodes, please contact us at podcast at tsbvi.edu.